greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All praise and honor and glory be to Him. To uh, Pastor Phil and Pastor Ben, uh, I am so thankful to not only share this pulpit with you, but share in the ministry of the saints uh, here at Redeemer. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, saints of Redeemer, for being here, desiring God's holy word, desiring to hear it preached, desire to be filled by the Holy Spirit, and to grow in our Christ-likeness together. This morning, as we look to God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Jude. So I invite you to join me in turning in the book of Jude. We're going to say a prayer um, and ask God to illuminate this passage for us in just a minute. As Phil has already mentioned, we are. this is a day set aside to where we remember well the Protestant Reformation and the recovery of the gospel. It is a time that we at Redeemer often uh, calls, uh, call our church to recenter, recenter on this Reformation theology for present-day doxology. This is us looking at what God has revealed to us in His Word, studying the nature of who He is, and therefore leading us to worship. Reformed theology teaches that Christians can know that they are truly saved and that they will persevere until the end. All children of God are kept by God's power and will persevere in faith. But we should not let this precious truth lead us to passivity. We should not. In persevering, there is contending. And that's what our message is today. What does it mean to contend for the faith? We're going to seek to answer four questions. What is the faith? What does it mean to contend? Why does it even matter? And how do I do it? The writer of Hebrews tells believers that they are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We see this in the Protestant Reformation. We see this throughout historical Christianity, and we see this in the church today. Jonathan Edwards said, in order to persevere in the faith, various contests must be encountered, and continual warfare must be maintained. The faith had been once delivered, that they may know that they have obtained it for the end, that they may never fail or fall away. We're going to look today at a very wonderful and beautiful and deep passage of Scripture. But I don't want you to miss this, this pastoral exhortation that is happening here. This is a beautiful pastoral text that we must hear and we must, we must understand. And we need to get our minds right before we receive this exhortation. And Jude does a beautiful job with that in his greeting. He greets us with a beautiful blessing and a beautiful benediction. He tells us who he is. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. He tells us he's a brother of James, which is the brother of Jesus and then he says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may, per, may mercy, peace, and love 
be multiplied to you. These words, they remind us of what a real Christian is. We are called. We are beloved. We are kept. We are called by God. Not only into His family, not only into His church, but into this great story. Into this mission to be a blessing to the nations. We're beloved in God the Father. This is the only time in the New Testament where this glorious phrase is, is printed. So we can read it. We are beloved in God the Father. And then we're kept. We're not only kept by Jesus Christ, but we are kept for Jesus Christ. No one can snatch us out of the palm of His hand. And we are kept in order to be presented to Him at this last day as His bride, faultless, spotless, and blameless because of Christ. And this is how Jude begins. It's just a greeting. But even in the greeting, He defines for us what it means to be a Christian. Servants of God, called by God, beloved of the Father, kept by Jesus. It is a glorious description of who we are, church. And that thinking reorients the whole way we view ourselves this morning, the way we view the world, and the way we view our mission in life. This is important. But Jude doesn't stop there. He says mercy and peace and love be multitude, be multiplied to you. And then and in this benediction, we, we see something of what Christians ought to be longing for. We see something that we ought to be desiring for. We, we come to the Word this morning not wanting more stuff, not wanting more power, not wanting more prestige, not more wanting influence or significance or status, but more mercy, more peace, more love. So even in this greeting and blessing, these opening words of Jude teach us so much. And they serve us well. Because they lead us into the purpose and the heart of this letter in verse 3. Where we will spend our time together this morning. He tells us that he wanted to write about one thing. But he's got to write about another. Because of the circumstances that this congregation finds itself in. So before we read this passage this morning, before we look at verse 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts in the hearing of His Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You. We thank You first and foremost for being a glorious, triune God. There is none like You. You are completely set apart in all Ways. You are holy, holy, holy. There is none beside you. There is none one like you. And there is none that can contend with you. Lord, and we also thank you for Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Who the joy for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, so that we could be saved. 
This is why we're here today. Because of the grace and the mercy and the love that you displayed through the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and one day future coming of King Jesus. So, Father, we stand in awe of you. But we also, Lord, we need you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to rise up in our hearts, in our minds, and drive out every thought that is not good of you. To drive out anything that would distract us from hearing about you and your word. Any sin or weight that keeps us, Lord, from running towards you this morning. We need you. So, Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds. To hear. To see. To feel. Your presence. In your holy name we pray. Amen. In the letter of Jude, in the first verse, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So this morning, we're going to try to answer four questions for you. And the first question we're going to ask is, what is the faith? We're going to get into the details of this letter and, 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 and the purpose of this letter. But what is the faith? Here Jude says that we're to contend for the faith. The word faith usually refers to that act of the heart by which we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our only hope in life and death. But faith here refers not to that act of believing, but actually to what is believed. Jude is addressing an area that makes many people uncomfortable in the church today. We live in a day and age where people say things like, hey, let's not get caught up in all this doctrine. Let's just share the gospel. Right? Doctrine divides, witness unites. Let's don't get all hung up about the minute details of truth. Christianity isn't a belief or a doctrine. It's just a way of life. Like this is, this is the day and age we live in. And these kind of ideas pervade even the church today. And Jude comes along with this big message. And he says, be orthodox. And care about orthodoxy. Not really what we like to hear in church services today. And here also Jude is writing about our congregational responsibility in the faith. Our congregational responsibility to care about truth. To care about the truth. Here Jude is suggesting that there needs to be um, a personal awareness and a personal preparation in order to contend for the faith. But before we define the faith, as Jude is talking about, I want you to notice a few things. First, I want you to notice how Jude speaks to the congregation. Look at verse 3. 
What does he call them? He calls them beloved. Beloved. He just referenced what that meant in the gospel. Beloved in God the Father for Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, you are the beloved. And then he, first, then he says, beloved. Now this was a standard greeting of the time. But what Jude uses this phrase, what he is telling us is he, he is showing real pastoral love and concern for this congregation. He loves them. He wants what's best for them. He is a loving and concerned pastor, and he wants them to embrace the truth, to hang on to it, and to contend for it because he cares about their lives. Beloved, he says. This is so important. Secondly, I want you to notice that Jude says something else. I would rather talk to you about the common faith that we share, but necessity is laid upon me. So what we see is, we see a pastor who loves his con congregation, but he's not just a pastor who is seeking out controversy, that is seeking to be argumentative, that is seeking to be the great debater. He is a pastor who is concerned, and out of necessity, he lays down, he lays down just for a moment the common faith, and he addresses and appeals to a congregation about what mattered at the time. See, Jude wants us to see and he wants to hear the absolute necessity of the congregations contending. The defense of the faith is a serious matter. To which Jude said, I would rather talk to you about how salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. But I've got to appeal to you, you must fight for that belief. You must fight for the gospel, you must defend the faith because it is a serious matter. Third, I want you to know the reason why he's motivated, motivated for them to engage in this discussion about the truth. And that is that they would grasp the faith. That you contend earnestly for the faith. Jude is asking this congregation to be good, faithful theologians with their eyes wide opened to the falsehood around them. And as a wise, loving pastor, he is caring about their souls and he wants them to contend for the faith. These are the three things I want you to notice about what's going on here. So what is the faith? He says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. When he talks about the faith, he doesn't mean that he wants them to contend for their faith in Christ. He uses the word, the faith, as a noun and as an object. They are, they are to contend for the faith. And the faith in this circumstance doesn't refer doesn't refer to their subjective trust in Christ, who is the object of the faith. The faith here refers to Christian doctrine. The apostles' teaching. Jesus' teaching given to the apostles. The divinely inspired doctrine given by God to the apostles. 
He wants them to cling to this faith, to contend for this faith, to contend for this Christian doctrine, the apostles' teaching, the body of Christian doctrine altogether. The Apostle Paul calls the body of Christian doctrine the standard of teaching to which we are committed. Elsewhere, he refers to it as the whole counsel of God in the book of Acts. And he also, in his writing to Timothy, says, Look, this is the pattern of of sound words. It is the good deposit entrusted to you. And just like Paul, Jude wants them to understand that this doctrine is unchangeable. Continue for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It is unchangeable. We're not looking for a new doctrine. We're not looking for an improved doctrine here. We're not looking for the revised version of the faith. No, it is once for all given, he says. Now, once for all doesn't mean once upon a time. We're not talking about some fairy tale here. We're talking about it has been given once for all time. And listen, real Christianity is Christianity resting on truth. It is resting on Christian doctrine, the apostles' teaching, Jesus' teaching that is declared through this Bible that we read. A faith of definite, definite beliefs cherished by believers throughout all ages and once for all given to the church. In other words, in this truth, in this biblical truth, in this gospel, in this doctrine, we have the foundation of the faith. And this faith is profound. We turn to this Bible and we we read about the profoundness of the faith. We see how many have given their lives for the faith. You can go back to the book of Hebrews and you see by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, people risked their lives for this Christian doctrine. They fought for this. We turn to the Bible for this truth. But we also have the great privilege and opportunity to turn to historic, faithful summaries of the Christian faith like creeds and confessions of faith that have been used to define and defend true Christianity over 2,000 years. As an example, the Apostles' Creed stands stands as a timeless summation of Christian faith that instructs, guides, defends and treasures the glorious truths that answer the most important question anyone could ask. What must I do to be saved? At the core of Christian faith are history and doctrine that do not change. Christ died, that is history. Christ dies for our sins, that is doctrine. Christianity is not merely alive. It is God acting once for all in history and God interpreting the meaning of those uh, uh, actions in Scripture. This is the faith. So what is the faith? It is both history and doctrine. It is how God has revealed Himself through the Scriptures. That's what it means when Jude says, contend 
for the faith. What, what does it mean to contend? The word contend in the original here, as close as we can get to it, means a, a sort of striving in debate in order to persuade and protect. It's a kind of fighting for the sake of someone else's benefit. It's not an argumentative, sarcastic kind of contending. This contending has elements of agony. It has elements of distress. It has elements of anguish. Things we experience when we are engaged in a struggle motivated by love. Motivated by love. I think we probably have some examples even of our own life that's just triggered, like where you were contending for someone. You wanted what's best for them. You wanted to try to help them, and you're doing everything you can. You're pleading, you're contending, don't do this, don't do this, turn this way, turn that way. But they simply will not listen, and you have this anguish in your soul. Because only if they would hear, only if they would listen, only if they would turn, it's motivated by a real sense of love. And Jude is saying, look, church, I know that just as we're called to strive for peace with everyone, it's also true that we must contend for truth. The early theologian Athanasius said, Considering that this struggle is for our all, let us make it our earnest care and aim to guard what we have received. What does it mean to contend? Why should I want to contend? The magnitude of what is at stake in preserving the faith is so great that controversy, agony, distress, and anguish is a price that the faithful have been willing to pay from the very beginning. And this, this is why Jude says this is a necessity. Many false gospels are deceiving millions and millions of people even today. And we have been exhorted to contend for the faith to contend for the apostles' teaching, to speak the gospel clearly, to speak the gospel with love, to speak the gospel with compassion and humility. Especially in a day where there's all kind of compromise in the church. There's compromise on the Word. All kind of temptations to leave God's truth behind in favor of man's opinions because they're more popular. We must contend for the faith. Why? Because we are believing people. And we believe in the objective truth claimed by the Holy Scriptures. Truth. Truth. Does not rest in subjective feelings of right and wrong. Truth flows from the objective reality of the blood of Jesus Christ. Where God revealed His glory, His will, and His purpose for mankind. Truth is what God has done for sinners in Christ. And it, guess what? The magnitude of our contending is based upon the truth that God has done for you in Christ. 
God has done for you in Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy, has made you alive. Right? It is worth our all. Truth about Christ. Truth about Christ. This truth is necessary for communion with Christ. This is the all, the once for all, this is the all that is at stake in contending, and we are to cling to it. So what is the faith? It is simply Christian doctrine. It is the apostles' teaching. What does it mean to contend? What does it mean to contend? What does it mean, church? It means to treasure your communion with God and the truth about God in such a way that you will do it no matter what. You will stand up in the middle of controversy and say, that's a lie. When someone tries to pervert the gospel, you will stand and you will say, that's not true. Why does this even matter? This is, this is a letter Jude is writing to more than likely a, a group of Jewish believers. He loves them. He cares for them. He wanted to talk about the common salvation that they all have and celebrate that. He found necessity to write to them in order to fight for the faith, to contend for the truth that has been delivered once and all to the saints. Why does this matter? Why did it matter in, to, to Jude? Why does it matter for us today? The rest of the letter, or the kind of the meat of the letter, it's very interesting. There's lots of, lots of things to discuss. So we, will, we will highlight some of those today and we will not press into others. But the, the first reason why it matters to contend for us today and for these believers here is because of the reality of God's judgment. If you look down at verse 4, he tells you why there must be a contending for the faith. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were des designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. What is Jude saying here? He's saying, here's why I'm writing to you. Here's why I'm writing to you. There are people in your own congregation, believer, who say, says they have the name Christian, who say that their teaching is Christian, but they're leading you astray. They're teaching you false things. They're teaching you cheap grace. They're denying Jesus Christ. He says, look, there are godless persons already among you. You didn't even know it. 
They're subtle. Be on the lookout. And these godless persons, he says, they're pre-condemned. God has already passed His verdict on them long ago. Now, I will just want to say, church, we are not going to solve the mystery of why some are God's object of wrath and some are God's object of grace this morning. But we are going to talk into this because, number one, the message to contend for the faith once and for all that was delivered for the saints is a message that matters because the reality is God's judgment is real. God's judgment is real. Notice two things that he says that they're teaching. They, they, they use grace as an excuse to live a life of indifference and sin. And then they're teaching, they deny Christ. They deny the master, the lordship, the authority of Jesus Christ. They are denying Christ. They're denying what the Bible teaches, what the faith teaches about His person and His work. And they say, oh, it doesn't matter how you live as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter what your life is like. It doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus as long as you're sincere. And Jude says, both of those are practical denials of Jesus Christ. One denies the result of His grace, and one denies His person who is essential for grace. And Jude urges us here to contend for the faith, to beware, beware of false teachers who can destroy souls and lives. So how are, how are these des destroyed? Look what Jude says in verse 14. He says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all hard things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. This is why it matters. God's judgment is real. And Jude is reminding us through his accounts of God's judgment, which are basically from, from, from 5 all the way down through 13. He is reminding us through his accounts of God's judgment that all things are subject to the same historical reality. God is judge. And His judgment is righteous. And this righteous judge will pour out His righteous wrath on ungodly people forever. God's judgment is not only real, God's judgment is eternal. Eternal chains, Jude says. Eternal fire, Jude says. Jude reminds us that God's righteous judgment against all ungodly, all sinners will be everlasting. But not only is God's judgment real, not only is God's judgment uh, eternal, Jude is telling us here in this verse that God's judgment is coming. And this reality is sobering. 
Where's the comfort here? Where's, where's the refuge here? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who does good. Our righteousness is filthy rags. God's judgment is real. And it is right. And it is eternal. And it is coming. Where is our comfort? Where is our refuge? Why don't you look back to verse, look at verse 5. Because Jude answers this in a very Jude-like way. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, but Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, where is our comfort? Where is our refuge? It is Jesus. It is Jesus who saved God's people out of bondage in Egypt. And it is Jesus who saves people from their sin through His work on the cross. It is Jesus. Why does this matter? Because God's judgment is real. And it's eternal. And it's coming. But there is refuge. There's refuge in those who put their faith in the faith. Listen, church, there are a lot of things we are called to bear with, but we are not called to bear with those who pervert the Scriptures. We are not called to bear with the gospel, uh, those who pervert the Gospel and distort the truth of Scriptures in the church. We're not called to bear with that. We must contend. Why does it matter that we contend? Because God's judgment is real. But also... Why should we contend? Because of the joy of worship. We contend so others can worship. This is what love does. When you believe the soul-saving truth, our all, is at stake in our controversy, you contend. You contend. And in that contending, we see some contrast to where Christ is revealed. We don't have time this morning, but I pray you put your Bible study hat on and you go look at Jude, the contrast found in Jude 12 and 13 to where Jude reveals the supremacy of God, Christ, over all things, over sin, over darkness. And he uses some very unique terms to describe what this ungodly is all about. And as you're thinking about that ungodly, I want your mind to go to what God has revealed to you about Jesus. He's not a hidden reef. He's a rock of refuge. He's not a, he's not a ravenous wolf in a shepherd's clothing. He's the good shepherd. He's not a waterless cloud. He is a pillar of cloud that leads His people through the wilderness. He's not a fruitless vine. He is the true vine by which all fruit it bears. He's not one who is ravaged by the seas. He is the one who calms 
the seas. And he is not some wandering star. Jesus is the bright and morning star. So look at those contrasts. And then look at Jude's doxology in verses 24 and 25 to where his doxology, his contrast revealed Christ's supremacy over all things, but his doxology connects Christ's infinite worth to our great joy. He confirms Christ's ability to keep us from himself. The glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the authority of Christ in the gospel is worthy of our worship and our contending. This matters. This matters. Let's be like the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from all stumbling to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Let us offer, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Why does it matter? Because God's judgment is real, and there is great joy in worship. There's great. Why should we contend? So others can see the beauty and the majesty and the glory of dominion of Christ and fall deeply in love with Him, be saved by Him, and worship Him forevermore. This is why we should contend. I'm a very practical guy. Um, I enjoy analytics. I like numbers. I like percentages. Should I do this or not? The numbers don't lie, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm that guy. So the question, I, I see this, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm in awe of what Jude is writing here. And I think he's one of the most talented, inspired writers in God's Word. If you get down and you start studying it, just the contrast and, and the scenes and everything that he's building on. <clears throat> but I'm thinking, like, okay, how do I contend? This is, a, this is not a message to elders. This is not a message to the pastor of the church. This is a message to the beloved. This is a message for us all. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, awesome. Like, I love Jesus, and I love the truth of the Scriptures, and I'm so thankful for the Apostles' Creed. I'm so thankful for our founding fathers who, 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 who uh, fought and contended for the faith just so that we could actually have it. If there was no Protestant Reformation, would we even have the truth of God's Word today? Like, I'm thankful for those things. But I'm just Joey. Like, this is just Redeemer. In a little rural town in a rural county in backwoods Alabama. So, so like, how, how are we to do this? How do we contend? What I love about Jude is he answers the question very practically. Look at verse 17. Again, he's loving this congregation. And the first thing he says, he says, But you must remember. Beloved, you must remember. 
Where does he go? He goes back to the, to the faith. He goes back to the teachings, right? You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And the first thing that Jude says, church, how do you contend? You need to remember the faith. You do need to remember that you and I have an adversary. The devil, who is seeking to devour you, to rob God's glory, and to steal your joy. He will tempt you by showing you the makeup of this world and said, oh, Joe, if you just had just a little bit more of this, if you had just a little bit more influence, you would be significant. If you had a little bit more money, you could do good. Oh, if you just had this or that, everything would be okay. Then he tempts our own flesh, our predisposition to rebel against God that's not been fully redeemed. We believe and there's a war going on between the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Our, our, our Adamic nature that just wants to sin. And the devil holds out and says, did God really say? Did God really say that? He's just a creator God. He's setting up in heaven, giving you these all commands. He's holding out on you. Go, be satisfied in the flesh. Eat, drink, be merry. He's tempting you. He's trying to devour you. We need to understand and remember that the adversary is growing. and He's growing up people. He's deceiving people. And he's bringing those people into the church ungodly people, but He's bringing them in unnoticed and He's raising them up with this worldly desire, with this worldly passion in their heart in order to deceive you, to deceive those in the faith. And Jude says, persevere. How do you persevere? Know your enemy. Know your enemy. And how do you persevere in knowing your enemy? Know the truth. You cannot defend what you do not know. And there's a lot I don't know. I get around Phil and I get around Pastor Phil and I get around D.C. And then uh, I was talking to Ryan this morning. Ryan, they say they start using words I ain't never heard of. Y'all going to have to talk, you know, so it makes sense to me, right? Like very educated guys that know a lot. And when they're talking, I'm like, man, I don't even know how to defend that because I don't, I don't know what you're saying. We may never know and have the mind, the intellect to be able to grasp everything about historical Christianity. But we should, be not, we should not be passive. Don't be surprised when your faith fails if you're not in the Word. Don't be surprised when you cannot contend when you don't study the Word. When you neglect 
the teaching of the Word and the preaching of the Word. Don't be surprised when you cannot find joy in Christian living because the world has sucked all of it out of you. Don't be surprised. Study your Word. Know. Know the truth. And then you're better equipped to defend the truth. But it comes back to this point. Remember, you got an adversary. And there's a celestial thing happening that we cannot see. There is a war that's happening above our heads. And we need to know that this is a powerful adversary. He is the ruler of this world that God sovereignly is over. But He is working. One day God's judgment will fall. But until that day, we must contend. We must contend for the sake of those who do not believe, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of faith. But not only must we remember their adversary, this is a very beautiful, beautiful thing, church. And I know that I will not be able to, to speak as clearly as I would like to speak or as deeply as I would like to speak about this. But how are we to contend? I think the most important, if you don't, if you don't get anything but this today, listen. We are to pursue communion with God. Think about these three pictures that Jude shows us in verse 20 through um, really just 20 and 21. There's many examples of it. I want to show, I want to look at three pictures, these, these phrases. First, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. This is very tied to very what I just said about us being students of the Word. This holy faith that He's referring to, that God by His grace has given us, that we should build ourselves up, that we, that we want to grow in faith, so we, com we, we, we pursue communion with God. And then the next phrase He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. What a great phrase. Like, that's how I want to pray. I want to pray in a way that leads and is led by the Spirit of God. That the Spirit is directing my praying. And then we see this command in verse 21 to keep yourselves in the love of God. And when you're pursuing communion of God, where else do, would you want to be? Where else would you want to be? To, but other than God's love. To keep yourselves there. Keep yourself in God's love. Pray. Seek Him. Commune with Him. And then the last part. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Yeah, knowing that yes, by the gospel, mercy is ours now. But we have so much more mercy that is coming in the return of Christ. We have the victory over death and eternal life with Him. Eternal communion with this God of love. 
And I believe what Jude is leading here to is he says, look, if you want to contend well, if you want to contend for the faith, you need to remember you have an adversary, and then you need to pursue holiness. And one great hindrance to holiness is we are prone to not press in to the things that we read and the things that we say, making them real to our own souls. We can speak about the mystery of Christ and not stand in awe. We can speak about purity without feeling pure. We can speak of zeal without any spiritual passion. We can speak of God's holiness without trembling. We can speak of sin without sorrow in our soul. And this morning we can even speak of heaven without an eagerness for it. Beloved, we must remember that we need communion with God. And we must pursue it. Listen to the words of the famous Puritan John Owen in his book, The Mystery of the Gospel Vindicated. When the heart is cast indeed into the mold of doctrine the mind embraceth, when the evidence and necessity of the truth abides in us, when not the sense of the words only is in our heads, but the sense of the thing abides in our hearts. When we have communed with God in doctrine, we contend for. Then shall we be garrisoned by the grace of God against all the assaults of men. Pursue communion with God. Do you understand what John, John Owen was a very difficult, by far the most difficult writer in all of the, the Puritans. But he is saying, when that doctrine is not just here, when that doctrine is here, we are strengthened by the grace of God against all the assaults of the devil. John Owen spent most of his adult life contending for the grace of the gospel. And he saw the intimate connection between contending for the gospel and, be con and being consecrated by the gospel. The means of contending were not the end for John Owen. The means of contending was to see Jesus Christ. To be satisfied with Jesus. And to be transformed into His likeness. John Owen contended for the fullness of biblical faith because he wanted generations after him to enjoy that same long-awaited day he talked about. When we shall see the glory of Christ. Waiting for the mercy of Christ that leads to eternal life. He knew that our salvation depends on our present seeing of the glory of Christ in the gospel. This is what it means to persevere. 
It means that in God's keeping, we keep. We're not here persevering, trying to earn God's favor, to earn our end. We are persevering out of the faith. We are persevering out of Jesus' keeping. And in that, we get to know God and enjoy Him forever. So pursue communion with God. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray, study, persevere in gospel love in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God help us this morning. God help us to hold fast to the faith that has been delivered to us. Help us to hold fast to your word, your truth. Father, help us to contend for the faith. Help us to believe it. Help us to trust it, even when it's not popular. God, we praise you for those who have done that for centuries before us, for generations before us, who at great cost to them held fast to the gospel and passed it on from generation to generation. And it is bearing fruit and it is growing today. So please help us to do the same. There may not be a book wrote about us. There may not be a day to where the church gathers and calls us by name and thanks us because we recovered the gospel in our time. But help us see your beauty, your glory this morning to the only God, our Savior, who through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, be majesty, be dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Help us to work against false teachers in the church. Help us to proclaim and promote the gospel and the truth of your word that those who come after us might know that truth. Be set free by that truth. And join in a beloved worship of you. We pray this in Jesus' name.